0: Welcome to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie Paulston. I am your host, and I am so absolutely honored that you stopped by. Each week, I'm going to be sharing my own personal journey, and I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people that will be sharing their journeys as well, in hopes that we can educate, motivate, and inspire you to live the best possible life that you can. So grab your favorite beverage, maybe a snack or two, sit back, relax, and enjoy, because at the end of the day, this truly is all about you. Welcome back to Be The Phoenix Of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. This is Julie, your host, and I'm so excited to have this person on my podcast today. This person is probably one of my favorite human beings in the whole entire world. Um, I met her in this journey of rediscovering myself and and moving into this realm of coaching. And I kind of got stuck and then I ran into her. And when I first met her, I was like, oh, I don't think she likes me. And then I was like, what is she doing? Oh, this is some voodoo bullshit. And so I got involved because I was going to prove her wrong about all of the shit that she was talking about. And then um, ended up literally shifting my life and giving me my life back. So to me, it is an honor to have one of my mentors, not only my mentor, but my friend, Tiffany Toombs. Tiffany, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then I got a question for you.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Julie. So my name is Tiffany Toombs. I'm the founder of the Blue Lotus Mind Institute. My greatest passion in life is really helping people rediscover themselves. So uh, it's not even, somebody said to me recently, like, I feel like I'm broken. And I think what I help people understand is that they're not broken. They don't need to be fixed. What we're doing is we're peeling away the layers of who they're not really, but these identities and these belief systems and these personality traits that they've taken on over the years that have ultimately stopped them from being able to listen to themselves and to their soul. So that would be the voodoo that I do, as you said.
0: <laughs> I just want to God, when I first met you. I was like kind of voodoo bullshit is this? And then I actually, then it worked and I was like, okay, I love the voodoo bullshit. I think I, I think I will take this on. So I ask everybody a question at the beginning. Um, this is be the Phoenix of your own life. And Mm -hmm. we've all been in the shit pit. We've all been in the ashes. When is a pivotal point in your life where you were in the ashes and had to rediscover your divine inner Phoenix and how has it impacted your life since then?
1: Yeah. So I think it was, is that the like 2011 or 2013? I think it was 2013. I um, And this was really like the biggest rising out of the ashes for me. I've had obviously like many events, but this was like the big one that completely changed my life course and my life for good. So I'd, I was living in Australia, I'm from Canada originally, had been in a relationship for about three years. And along the way, like I got these like gut pulls, like, is this it? Like, is this this is what love is. Like, this is, this is what, this is it. But then we had, you know, people telling us that we were such a perfect couple and we had married couples telling us like, we want to have what you guys have. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess this must be it then. Because, you know, these people who are older, or have more experience are telling me that they want what I have. And, you know, it's not very good of me to be sitting here being like, I want more. <laughs> right. I've been told, <laughs> so much in my life that I was selfish. So I was like, maybe this is just being, being selfish. Right. So, uh, we were together for three years and then there was times where I was like, I don't think this is going to work. But then I was like, I can't end it. Cause I would really hurt him. And so I yeah. need to stay well, as the universe does, it kind of gives us like a soft nudge. And if we don't pay attention to the soft nudge, then it like gives us a full-on like kick in the butt. So about six months prior to my like complete undoing, we were sitting there. I actually had a friend visiting from Canada and she was about to leave the next morning. It was about midnight. We we're sitting there with a couple of friends. And I got this message on Facebook from this woman saying, Hey, are you dating? So-and-so I'm like, it clearly says on my profile. I am like, yeah, <laughs> you know, just like this smart-ass that I was at the time. <clears throat> and, um, she says, well, he's been asking me out on dates and then canceling at the last minute. And wow. I like, I saw red and mm-hmm. then I started like asking him questions, but not telling him what, like why I was asking these questions and then, you know, stalking her Facebook profile, asking questions, you know, looking at our mutual friends, asking them questions. And there was a couple holes in her story. There was lots in his, but you know, we're really right. good at justifying why that could be. And I had a friend tell me like, oh, she's done this before when she really likes the guy, she'll do whatever it takes to break up the couple so I was like, ah, oh, that's what she's doing here. And so I was like, she's a liar. But I had this like gut feeling for like six months. Like something's not right. Something's not right. Something's not right. Mm-hmm. And I would lay in bed at night because I'd go to bed before him. I'd lay there like, how can I hack into his Facebook? <laughs> like, right? I, I'm not even this kind of person, but I was like, how can I hack into his Facebook? I just need to prove myself wrong. He went away uh, to about six months later, went away to a job interview, wanted to fly in, fly out. Mining was like all the rage in Australia. That time you could make a ton of money doing it. He said he wanted to provide for me. So I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. drove him to the airport. He was like really chatty for 6 a.m. Like he was not a morning person, but he was like up before me for the first time ever, like Mm -hmm. super chatty the whole way to the airport texting me, like kind of proving looking back now, I can see that he was proving that he was going to the destination that he said he was going to. Spoiler alert, he was not going to the destination that he told me he was going to. Uh, Shock
0: and awe. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm shooketh right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he ended up, um, I got home and I hadn't been feeling well in a couple days. And like as disconnected as I was from my intuition, I was fairly connected to my body. And so I was like, there's no way I can be pregnant. No way I can be pregnant. This is my worst nightmare. This can't happen. And so I took a pregnancy test, stick changed pregnant. And I had like, up until that point, I was like getting pregnant. is my worst nightmare. Like I will do everything possible to avoid it. As the stick changed, I had like this rush of excitement and like motherly love. And I was like, Oh, wow. Wasn't expecting this one. (laughs) So I tried calling him and his phone was off. And I was like, that's really weird. He never turns his phone off, but I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go take a nap. Let this kind of process and sink in, and then I'll call him again. So I had a nap, call him again, no answer. A couple hours later, I get this cryptic text message from him about how he, so he told me he was staying in the middle of downtown Sydney, which is like one of the biggest cities in the world. It's like literally like saying, I'm staying in the middle of New York. And this text was like, I don't have cell phone service where (laughs) I'm staying. So I just had to like walk two miles in the rain to like send you this message. And I was like, um, that doesn't add up. So I I called him right away. He let it ring out. And then he turned his phone off. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Mm. So I sat there for like two hours having this internal battle. Like he's cheating. No, he's not. He's cheating. No, he's not. He would never do that to me. Yes, he would. (laughs) It was just (laughs) like that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove that he's at a job interview. He left his laptop. So I went and got his laptop, opened it up. Boom. He's not actually in Sydney. He's in a, in a town North, about four hours north of Sydney, Coffs Harbor. Then in his like other inbox, in his Facebook, there was all these messages from all these other women. Oh, And my entire life collapsed. And then as I, you know, I told his mom, you're going to have to pick him up from the airport when he gets back. He's a liar. I'm not doing this. I'm out. The universe had my back and that there was like it totally lined up for me to be able to get out and have somewhere to live with my dog and everything it was during that period that i found out he was actually a compulsive liar and a narcissist so all these lies started coming out he'd forged Mm. a bank statement saying that he'd been saving fifty (gasps) thousand dollars we could put a deposit down on a block of land he forged it like i went i looked at it because i didn't believe that he could save so i was like i'm gonna have to see something from the bank and he he produced it. And I was like, this is insane. And then all of our friends kind of started coming out like, Hey, he said this. And I thought that was a little bit weird. And then this happened. And so that just like brought me crashing down in that same period. I ended up having a miscarriage totally alone in Australia. My whole family is in Canada. I cannot afford to go back and see them. I was just like devastated. It brought me to my knees. And there was a point where, um, I was so embarrassed about the infidelity and the lying. Cause in my mind, I was like, I am a very intelligent woman. (laughs) Like how could somebody pull the wool over my eyes? Like, how could this happen? Yeah. Because I was so embarrassed. I didn't actually tell anybody about the miscarriage. I didn't tell anybody. He was the only person that knew I was pregnant. He was the only person that knew I'd lost the baby. And I didn't tell anybody else because I was just so embarrassed. So that pain of like being excited to be a mom and then losing the baby just totally took me to a depth that I never knew existed emotionally. And I left a business meeting on a Friday afternoon and I saw like, there's all these people all around me. They're laughing, they're joking, making plans for the weekend. And I just, I could not see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm standing there on the corner, downtown Melbourne, super busy city. And I see this taxi coming and I was like, you know, in my mind, I thought, I'd grown up with hearing people say suicide is selfish. Suicide is selfish. And we'd known a number of people who committed suicide. And I was like, I don't want to do that to my family, but if it looks like an accident, then I don't have to feel bad about getting rid of my pain. Right. I don't need the guilt on top of getting rid of my pain. So it's like, I'm just going to take this step and I'm just going to end it. Obviously I didn't think in that moment about like what if I just get hit by a car and I don't die? <laughs> <laughs> what what up I with a lot of body? Every bone in my yeah. body? And yeah. So clearly not thinking too clearly, but I, I'm mentally committed to taking that step. And when I went to take it, my feet were like cemented to the ground. I could not move. The light even changed for people to start walking and I could not move. I was like frozen to that spot for like five minutes. People were like, what is wrong? Get out of the way. I was like, I can't move. <laughs> but i realized in that moment like what had happened what i'd almost just done and that was the point where i was like i need to make some change i need to heal some things that i've been holding on to my entire life and if i don't it'll literally kill me yeah so that was the point where i then got to rise from my ashes so that was the burning down
0: so now i know what you do so I- Talk about because I am absolutely fascinated. Um, for those that don't know, Tiffany is also known as the NLP queen, um, which is neuro linguistic programming, which is also now what I do with my clients. Explain to people if they don't understand what NLP is. How does that? How did that help you get out of that pit of despair? And develop the career and the path that you are on now and the, the thousands and thousands of people that you've helped to peel back the, who they weren't so they could become who they
1: are. Yeah. So I think like one thing to understand was NLP was not the first thing that I found. It was literally like the last ditch effort before I just gave up in my healing process. So I started where most people start with talk therapy Right. Going to the therapist, talking through things. And I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm just saying, I think it's a little bit antiquated. I think Mm -hmm. just talking about our problems. I mean, it does provide some relief, but it doesn't help us heal at the deeper levels. And what it actually can do in the long term is keep us trapped in this cycle of talking about our story instead of actually doing something productive with it. And so I've had people who come to me who are like, I've been in therapy for eight years, 20 years, blah, blah, blah. And they've just kind of accepted. And I think from a societal standpoint, we're just, we've accepted because the experts have told us that you need a therapist. And so you just always need that therapist. And I really don't agree because therapy And psychology, its roots are actually based in this person is broken. We need to fix them. This person is not able to function in society, right? They're in an asylum, something like that. And we need to get them to a point where they can at least function in society. But the majority of people who go see therapists who are looking to heal, they're not dysfunctional in society. They're able to function in society and they want to be extraordinary. They right. don't want to be stuck in this, like I'm settling. I'm just, you know, this is life. I just work my nine to five, look forward to the weekends, dread Monday morning on Sunday night, look for my two weeks of paid holidays a year. Like, People don't want to live that life anymore. And we're starting to realize that there's more available to us. So when the therapy didn't work for me, I started doing more personal development side of things instead of therapy, So I did the rah, rah events where you feel great when you're there, you hug a lot of people, you high five, you know, lots of music and energy. Then you leave and you're like, I really don't have any tools to help myself from here. Like I I don't know what to do when I'm by myself. I would start accountability groups with the people that I met there and we would meet every week. And then every week became every month and then life happened. And it was like, oh, Hey, we haven't talked in five years. Yeah. I hired a couple of life coaches And it was the same thing. You know, they kept telling me like, you can't heal the past. So just look forward to the future and create the life that you want. And I'm like, that's cool. And I did that for 28 years. It literally almost killed me. And I became an overachieving perfectionist people pleaser who didn't know how to set a boundary to save her life. So while I understand the whole look forward mentality, if we're carrying this emotional baggage with us from the past, then it's going to really limit what we can see as possible in our future. So I like super randomly found an LP I'd heard of it. Um, but I, I didn't see it as a healing tool at that point. And then I actually took a flight. I was home visiting my family and I, I, my flight got back early, which is like the first time in my life that, and I think the only time a flight has ever arrived early. (laughs) and I'm not even talking like 15 minutes early. Like my flight was like an hour early. And Holy so, fan. yeah, I text my business partners when I got back and I was like, Hey, where are you guys? Like I'll drop by. Cause I got back early and they were like, Oh, we're at actually at this lunch. Come on by. So I go to this lunch and I, there's randomly like this friend of a friend of a friend, this woman who's there, she just happened to be in town. Like weird circumstances led to her being in town and we got to talking and then we exchanged numbers and you know, we were, kind of, she told me a bit about her journey and I was like, wow, like I need to know what you did because this is my journey and I've not been able to find anything to help me dramatically heal. So she did a session for me and it was a game changer because NLP and the matrix therapies tools that we use are rooted in the foundation of human potential. How do we take somebody who's functional and make them extraordinary? How do we unlock those deeper parts of the unconscious mind get rid of the things that don't really belong to them so that they become, become the person that they're meant to be.
0: Which is probably when I ran, when I met you and we talked about NLP and I was like, oh yeah, this is some voodoo,
1: some voodoo stuff.
0: And then when you have those sessions that actually work, you realize that And I I had a client yesterday and, and we went and did a session. And afterwards she goes, you know, she goes, Julie, I've been in therapy for years about this. If you would have asked me, I would have told you that I completely healed this, that this wasn't going to be a big thing. And in the middle of the session, after she got done, she said, Julie, I, I, I guess there, there was still some stuff there. (laughs) I said, because really with NLP and, and that type of therapies, you're working with the unconscious mind. And to some people that seems like, oh God, are you going to make me get on stage and act like a chicken? So the people who are confused about that, how do you explain what you do to somebody who has no idea what it is as far as the process? Yes.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, ultimately, I think it's about helping people. Like the word hypnosis is scary for people because they're like, I saw this grandma get up on stage and strip one. at a hypnosis show and like, I don't <laughs> want to do that it's, I think it's important to understand and help people see that we hypnotize ourselves on a daily basis with the words that we say. We're being hypnotized by the media, by movies, by music, by TV shows, by the government, by every single ad we see. And right now we see like 4,000 ads a day between social media and all the other places that there's ads. So we're constantly being hypnotized. Now, I think what people don't realize is that they've taken a very passive role in getting to where they are. And it's actually nobody's fault, right? Right. We, our parents raised us, they gave us their belief systems, then teachers and then friends and grandparents and whoever else we were around a lot. We got all of their belief systems and we very passively took that in. And then that kind of continued. And, you know, the school system doesn't teach us how to think. It teaches us to get the same answer as everybody else. And so, and then, you know, it uses, it uses fear like, and catastrophizes quote unquote failure that if you don't get the same answer as everybody else, you're not good enough. You're a failure, all these negative things. So it like plays on the deepest human emotions to make us like everybody else, right? You look at a kid who hasn't gone to school yet they have so much creativity. They have so many ideas. They have so many belief systems about how they can be and show up in this world. And then you see them after a couple years of school and a couple more years. And it's like, they, it's like we suck the life out of them. Right. And this like passive programming takes place through our whole life. And so many people then look for passive ways to heal. I'm going to go to a therapist and I'm just going to talk to them and they're going to tell me how to make a change. I'm going to go to somebody who does Reiki and they're going to move the energy around in my body. And then I'm going to feel better. And I'm not saying that there's, again, there's a place for therapy. There's a place for Reiki. There's a place for all the energy work, but we have to take an active role at some point. And this is what the hypnosis techniques that we use do. I actually talk very little during the sessions. Like most of the time I mute myself because my dog's snoring in the background right. and I just sit there and let the person talk, but it's different from talk therapy. And that in the questions that we're asking, we're not saying, I want you to tell me what happened. We're asking questions like, how did that make you feel? How did this event t- you know, tell this person, cause we actually get them to visualize having this conversation with the person. So that it's, and that's how it's different from talk therapy. And some talk therapies will do this where they'll role play and they'll get you to imagine that the therapist is your dad or your mom or the person who hurt you. We don't want to take on that energy ourselves. So we just get them to imagine the person there and talk to them. This releasing and letting go and feeling like they have a voice, giving them that voice back, getting them to connect the dots between, oh, okay, I took, this, I got an F on this test. And I caused that to mean that I'm not good enough because my parents were upset with me or this person rejected me or ran away from me. And I took that to mean that I wasn't good enough on the playground. And I've projected that into every area of my life. And so when people start making these connections, they can see, okay, uh, now that I'm looking at it from a different perspective, I can see that it wasn't that I wasn't good enough. It was this person's stuff. Yeah, And so it allows us to make shifts very quickly.
0: And I think that we're seeing a lot of it that when you just said that this person's stuff is that in society today, like I firmly believe now that I've been working with these therapies and working with clients and and now being able to go out in society and you see people do things that Karens, the Karens of the world most of the time if you were to go to and be a fly on the wall in their house they're loving they're caring they're they're regular people something flips that switch and then all of this baggage all of a sudden is unpacked in a moment and they explode and it's the same thing with road rages normal healthy adults don't shoot each other because you went too slow around a corner so i think when you said that it's there, it's other people's stuff that that's what we're seeing is, is the projection of other people's stuff and how we as society, we've got so much baggage coming at us through the media and through fear and through propaganda and all this stuff. And I don't care if you're on one side or the other, both sides are trying to destroy each other. Do you think that that's why we're seeing so much anger and rage and pain is because people, all their unhealed shit has come to the surface.
1: Absolutely. So I I like firmly believe we're going through a global awakening right now, and this is a global awakening for us to step more into our power, for us to become more connected from the earth. When we live in concrete jungles, we become very disconnected from the vibrations and the energy of the earth, and we need each other. The earth needs us. We need it. But because, um, and I'm pro capitalist. I'm anti-corporatism. And I think that's a that's a big difference that we're going to have to distinguish against. You know, the media is telling us that capitalism is terrible, but capitalism gives everybody equal opportunity, where corporatism is, I'm going to build this giant business on your back and then you know tell you what's good for you, have the money to lobby the government and whatnot. So um, to, to kind of come back to that question, People need to understand that when we experience a negative emotion as we're growing up, the first time that we experience that, we create an imprint of that emotion in the body. And we keep adding to this bucket until we actually go back and deal with that first event. So like the road rage, for example, that's really like the two-year-old who didn't get the toy that they wanted when they were growing up. And so it's not even that grown adults are acting as grown adults right now. They're being hijacked by what we call inner children or by these initial imprints part of people's psyche gets stuck at those mental ages and so we revert in times of high stress which the last 21 months have absolutely been anytime our routine gets disrupted or you know we're being hit with constant fear-mongering and you're gonna die you're gonna die your neighbor could kill you just by breathing they could kill you just by smiling at you right Now, all these people who've never truly lived are worried about dying Mm -hmm. because they haven't truly lived. Mm -hmm. And so they're not acting from their 30 or 40 or 50 year old selves. They're reverting back to the two-year-old or the one-year-old or the three-year-old who felt unsafe. And the only way that the two-year-old or the three-year-old or the one-year-old knows how to react to that situation is to throw a temper tantrum. Yeah. So it's been interesting to watch the last 20 months or so. And I haven't been overly vocal about it um, because I wanted to find a gentle and loving way to kind of shake people awake. But really what we're seeing is people's desperate desires and desperate needs to feel safe and to feel accepted. And so identity politics has worked for the government to this point point because you can feel part of a movement. You can feel like you're the good person, right? And so virtue signaling, I really only see virtue signaling happening from people who haven't done the healing work. People who need that external validation to prove that they're a good person. right? I know I'm a good person. I don't need anybody to tell me that I'm a good person because I support this cause or I support this cause. And I can say, I support this cause to this point. And, you know, when you start doing these things, then I feel like you're no longer supporting the cause. Anger absolutely can make change in society, but it can't make change if it's explosive and it's all over the place, right? Righteous anger is what makes change. We saw this during the suffragette movement, the women's right movement, where women were willing to sacrifice themselves for the greater good of the movement. What we're seeing nowadays is people who are willing to sacrifice everybody else but themselves, Mm -hmm. right? As a way of furthering the movement, but that doesn't actually further the movement. It creates more division and anger and hate. And so what we have to do is we've got a world of people. There's one language. There's the only language is love. We're either asking for it or we're giving it. And right now we're in a world where everybody is begging for love and very few people are out there willing to give it. And so this is where as easy as it is to get triggered or to go off on somebody and spew facts back at them or to name call or to put them in their place. What if you just simply gave them love? Like, what if you just said, I hope that you have a good day? right the people who are like oh you're on this side i hope you get sick and die or i hope you do this and both sides are doing this nope what if you just say i hope you live a long healthy fulfilling life regardless of what you think of me because when we start giving it we get it back a whole lot faster so we've lost this ability to be compassionate because of the fear that people are stuck in And it's really because we're being hijacked by these inner children. Well, not so much you and I, but you know, people are being hijacked by these inner children. Right. And it's easier to point the finger at somebody else than it is to take an active role. Because a lot of people think, well, if I look at myself, if I point the finger at myself, then I'm to blame. I'm at fault. I'm not good enough. I'm a mistake, but none of that's true. You can take ownership and say, I made a mistake without me being a mistake I did something wrong. I didn't act in the way that was appropriate here. And I can give myself grace and compassion and learn from this so I can do something different in the future. But taking that active role in your healing and saying, it's going to be a swamp water of discomfort. But the good thing is when I have a guide, I don't have to stay in that swamp water for very long and I can move through it quickly to the other side.
0: Yeah. I love that, and it, and it's like that that fire that we talk about in the hero's journey. You you have to go through the fire, and I think one of the reasons people always ask me why I picked the phoenix as my symbol and not like the lotus, where the lotus is yours and it grows and it blooms out of the mud and and of the mire and it becomes this beautiful flower. For me, the phoenix, it just burns the the flames. Of the phoenix burn away, just not me, but everything that doesn't serve me. And I think that we are at a point now where. People are learning, and hopefully with what you and I do, it's teaching them that I love that, that you made a mistake, you're not a mistake. That's because that takes you back to that little kid of, you know, oh, they spilled the milk. Oh, how could you do that? You're so stupid. You are all you're so clumsy. And when we hear that as a child, then all of a sudden, when I'm in a boardroom and I make a mistake it's no longer Julie, the 50 year old, it's now Julie, the three year old who spilled the milk and everybody told her she was stupid and, and so on and so forth. And I love that analogy. It's like, you make a mistake. You're not a mistake, no matter what anybody told you in your life.
1: And I think an important note for anybody who's like raising kids or who is a parent is there's been this swing from like, you know, the, And I say, I used to say like the 1950s household, but it kind of extended past that period where you have parents who were super strict, who were, you know, the hard ass who were like demanded excellence, but they also catastrophized mistakes. And those parents, those people grew up to be parents who were like, I don't want to be like that. So now I'm going to be my kid's friend. But Mm -hmm. the problem with that is that at that age, the kids need a guide and a mentor more than they need a friend. They've got their, they've got their peer group to be their friend. So we can be a mentor and a guide. We can be the parent for the child without making the same mistakes as our parents did, right? This is what evolution really is. And so I think part of this global awakening is going to be coming back to being able to parent, but parent from a place of compassion, parent from a place of I've healed myself. So I don't need your accomplishments as the child to validate me as the parent. I don't need you to fulfill my dreams for me because that's my responsibility. I'm going to live my life to fulfillment and set that example for you to do the same. I'm going to show you what healthy boundaries looks like. And I'm going to show you what love and compassion and learning from mistakes looks like rather than catastrophizing things. So I think we're really going to see a return to like communal, uh, raising of children, right. Where we're back into communities. I think we're actually going to see the death of large cities and this might take, you know, 10, 20 years, but I really feel like we're going to see the death of large cities and we're going to come back to, you know, these communal villages or whatever you want to call them that are very connected to nature. I mean, we're already seeing that, right. Right. van life has become a big thing. Let's just pack up everything, sell everything, move into a van and travel the country. So we're starting to see this. Um, there's going to be, I believe more accountability for government and corporations. There's going to be more entrepreneurial work where everybody's taking a vested interest, but we're all getting what we need and then leaving the rest right? We all live in abundance instead of, well, I'm going to take all of this and there's going to be very little left for you. So I think everybody's going to step into a place of abundance as well. I love, I love every single thing that you said, because I
0: believe the same thing. And I, I, and you do see it, you're seeing tiny house communities, like people are going and they're building these communities of tiny houses and there's no kitchens in the houses. And you go to this community and everybody cooks together, you know, the, And all of that. And they, you know, they have their own stores and they do that type of thing. And I think that some people that terrifies because they're so used to corporatism and the big corporations. And I was talking to a friend of mine that still works at um, the company I used to work for. and, And I said, you know, Every day that I'm further away from it, the happier I am because I get to be able to share a gift and be able to help people rediscover who they are. And, and it's just, it's tough. But I think that you're right. We're going to go back to that community. We're going to go back to helping our neighbors. And you're going to know your neighbor's name. And you're going to know what's going on in, in their world. And if they need a, a cup of sugar, it's not going to be that fear of, do they have their mask on? I don't yeah. know if they should come in my house because they might have touched something. It's not going to be that anymore. It's going to go back to that. You know, I love you. You're a human being. I don't care whether you're black, purple, green, red, any of it. It'll go back to I see you and you see me and I that's going to be probably one of the best times. I don't know if I'll be around for it. I'm hoping I'm going to be around for it. I mean, I'm only 54, so I'm hoping I'll be around for it because I think that that's what we need as a society.
1: Yeah. And I think there's going to be like a massive return to natural medicine, like the preventative, you know, here's how we actually stay healthy without making the corporates rich because they're selling us a whole bunch of snake oil that actually makes us more sick. Um, I think we're going to see a massive change to the education system where we teach history as it was without having to demonize what happened but being able to learn the lessons, right? Here's what happened in World War II. Here's what happened when America was founded. And here's how we make sure we don't make those mistakes again. Because right now we're making a lot of those same mistakes in the name of, you know, looking at what happened in history. It's this really like weird mind bending time of like, we don't want to do this again, but we're doing this again just in a different way. And so I think that there's going to be a lot more Personal power, a lot more trust and faith in our own intuition and our own gut feelings, and less in the hands of "quote unquote" experts, who right. you know learned a lot of things from a book, but don't really necessarily have a vested interest in us being healthy.
0: Right. Just because we we need the sick care system, it's not a health care system. It's the sick care system. So. Yes. <laughs> Oh my God. I can talk to you for like the rest of the day because I just love you and you're my friend, but I know people have got things to do and places to go and people to see. (laughs) So I have one last question for you for the person who's listening that is sitting at the bottom of the pit, who doesn't see any light, who doesn't see any hope, who thinks that they're useless and who is standing in that position on the corner that you were sitting with the taxi barreling down. What would you, what's one piece of advice that you could give them to start their journey to wellness and to start healing?
1: So, I would say that even when you can't see the light, lean into the faith that it's there. And the next step forward might be the one that helps you see it. I also want to remind people that when you're at that place of, I want to die. Check in with yourself and ask, is it that I truly want to stop existing in this world or do I want to stop living how I've lived? The quality of our life is determined by the quality of the questions that we ask. When we're asking questions that cause us to stay stuck, like the, I I don't really want to live anymore. I don't want to live anymore. You know, when we're, when we're stuck in that narrative, we don't see the opportunity for something that's outside of that. When we start asking ourselves, do I really wanna die, like no longer be in this world, or do I want to start living differently? And for most people, it for me, I didn't want to die. I didn't want to live with the pain anymore. So I wanted to start living differently. When we get that answer, we can ask a different question. How can I, who can I reach out to for help? How can I live differently? What do do I want from my life? And when we start asking these questions, we get different answers and it opens our mind up to being able to be open to receiving that. We can't receive something that we're not even aware of. And so often people are getting signs or they're getting messages from the gutter from their universe. And it's like, but I didn't ask for this and it didn't come in the box that I was looking for. So I'm just gonna totally discount it. And then down the road, people are like, Oh, I remember that time. I remember mm-hmm. this thing that came six years ago mm-hmm. but I wasn't ready for it, or I wasn't asking the right questions to know that I needed it. So I'd say when you're stuck, there's a tendency to spiral into, you know, despair. And the more that you focus on the despair, the more you sink lower. And it is too big of a gap to go from total despair and powerlessness to like totally empowered. That's way too big of a gap. So just focus on moving yourself up a little bit at a time. So instead of being in despair, get angry, you know, move yourself into a place of, I'm going to get revenge, healthy revenge on the people who put me down. I'm going to prove them wrong. The problem is most people get stuck there on the journey Mm -hmm. up and they just stay in this pace place of being driven by pain. We need to keep moving up that spiral. You know, after we move into the anger and revenge, allow yourself to feel the hurt then allow yourself to feel the fear and then allow yourself to just feel neutral and keep moving your way up. And that's going to help you find that light a whole lot faster.
0: Uh, I love it. And it's so funny because like I'm on what 30, I've recorded over 33 episodes, 34 episodes, and nobody's ever given me the same answer. I love it. And I, it just, I always find it fascinating. I find it fascinating. I learned so much. There's going to be somebody that's listening that goes, Oh my God, I need Tiffany in my life. And if you don't think you need Tiffany in your life, well, you're just not listening because everybody needs Tiffany in their life. So how can people find you? Uh,
1: so the best place to connect with me right now is on Facebook on my personal profile, actually. So facebook.com forward slash Tiffany dot Uh, we do have a, like a brand new website and everything coming out in the future, relaunching my podcast, but until then the best place is on Facebook.
0: Awesome. And everybody, I'm going to put in the show notes. You got to read the show notes because that will have the link. And uh, you spell her last name T-O-O-M-B as in boy S. So that's how you would find her. Um, I just get to go to Dallas and find her. So there's that too. I am so grateful for you that you took the time out of your day to hang out. And I think that this was absolutely incredible and I am so grateful for you and I'm grateful for your friendship and thank you for your voodoo bullshit, because it literally has changed my life and allowed me to help people start peeling back the layers as well. So I think that once there's enough of us that start down this path to helping other people, I think we will see the, the happiness come quicker than, than we think it's possible. So
1: definitely. any last thoughts? Thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to have a front row seat to your transformation and to share my story with your people. Uh, I love you,
0: my friend. Thank you so much. And remember you guys, when you're listening, I say this every single week and I will maintain this and I will say it until I'm blue in the face and pushing up daisies. You are enough. You were born enough. You are enough. doesn't matter. You're not too tall. You're not too short. You're not too fat. You're not too thin. You're not too light. You're not too dark and you're worthy. And if you could only see the divine light that shines back from your eyes, you would never doubt your greatness again. So with that, until next week, have an amazing rest of your week. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I appreciate you. And remember, you are loved. You are treasured. You are adored. You are worthy. And you are so more than enough. I hope that you were inspired. And if you were, please feel free to download, share, and leave a comment. I would be eternally grateful. Thank you so much and have an absolutely magical day.